Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. All right, if you want to turn with me to Matthew chapter 25 this morning, we are continuing on in our series in the parables. Matthew 25, we're in verses 14 through 30 this morning. I have to tell you as, you, as you're turning there, this... There's certain passages of scripture that are, that are, some some ways like fun to preach. Look forward to it, and there's other passages of scripture like, man, this is a hard one. This was, this is one of the the second of the two. This was one of those passages of scripture where I I, I looked at it and I thought, man, why did I pick this passage to preach out of? <laughs> it was just it's it's a it's a challenging section of scripture. And as I look through it, it, it creates all kinds of questions about, is Jesus arguing for a gospel of works? Where's grace? Why such a harsh response to one of the God? I mean, just, there's all kinds of questions that this raises in me. And oftentimes when we think of God's word, there are places in Scripture where we think, man, this is just, this is so encouraging and exciting and powerful and there's other times you read something, sometimes you just leave scratching your head. And so I just want to just say that from the get-go, that there are passages of Scripture that are sometimes hard for us to digest. But that doesn't mean we pull back, close the book, and say, okay, I'm not going to go there then because I don't, I don't like it or I don't fully understand all of that, what it's saying. For us, the parables are given to us to really cause us to do a couple of things. Number one, it causes us to, to bring about a reflection. So as Jesus is teaching the parables to the people, he wants us to pause for a moment and reflect, God, what are you saying to me? God, do I see myself in this parable somewhere? God, are, what, are, what are the things that you're emphasizing or not emphasizing? And then secondly, he wants and causes us and provokes in us a response. God is, Jesus is, in telling these parables, a desire from him is not that we would just get some information, or we'd be informationally rich. That, that is, that's great. But what Jesus is after in each one of us is transformation, not just information. And so as we look at these parables, it causes us to pause and reflect, and then it also gives us an opportunity to respond towards the Lord. So those two things are so important for us. Last week, we looked at the rich fool. And as we looked at the rich fool, we, John did such a, a masterful job of unpacking the scripture for us. I encourage you, if, if you weren't here last week, John Leitzel from Crosspoint came and, and shared the scripture with us. It was powerful. I'd encourage you, get the podcast, open it up. It was, it was an excellent message for all of us. But this week, we're going to look at a master and some servants, okay? And so this parable is really given to us and, and Jesus shows us, and it's a longer, this is one of the longer parables that Jesus teaches. There's three sections to this parable, okay? There's the circumstances, then we see some activities, and then there's the return of the master, okay? So let's, let's begin, Matthew chapter 25, we'll start in verse 14. Jesus says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, 
to another one, to each according to his ability. Then the master went away. So he entrusts five talents, two talents, and one talent. Now, we talked about the, the value of a talent. It's not like he threw a couple of 20s at the servants on his way out the door. All right, A talent was roughly measured. It was a 20 years wages for a common laborer. So 20 years worth of wages for a common laborer. But it was also designated as a, as a, as a measurement of, of value. So it wasn't just 20 years of wages. But it was also about 60 to 80 pounds of either gold or silver or a different kind of precious metal. So those things all had values. And so if we said, okay, let's take gold, the value of gold, what would one talent be worth? Okay, so for the guy that got one talent, if it was measured in gold, it would be roughly $1.15 million. All right, so he, he's not throwing 20s at the, at the servants on his way out the door. He entrusts the guy with one talent $1.15 million. Okay, or, or it's what James Harden makes in two basketball games. All right? So if, it's, if, if those games are back-to-backs, he makes that in two days, what a common laborer would make in 20 years. All right? So James Harden just signed the richest contract in NBA history, but it's a different story. Um, there's, I'm sure there's some kind of parable to go along with that one. I don't know what that would be, but we could think of something. So one talent would be $1.15 million. Two talents would be $2.3 million. And then the five talents would be $5.75 million the entrusted to the various servants on his way out the door. So this guy is a man of substantial means. He, tr- he, he entrusts his property and his, his resources to the servants as he's heading out the door. And he says, I'm going away. I want you guys to take care of things while I'm gone. And I'm not going to tell you when I'm coming back. I don't know when I'm coming back. But you have a responsibility to take care of these things. So each servant is then given talents according to their abilities. All right, verse 16, we read on. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. Okay, so far so good. These guys are, these guys are hitting home runs. 100% return on investment. This is great. These guys are, these guys are just nailing it. Verse 18, But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So we've got the guy with five. He had 5.75 million. Today's economy turns around. Now he's got 11.5 million. The guy's got 2.3, invests it, trades it, works it. He's got 4.6 million. The guy with the one talent right? The one million guy. He decides instead of going to a bank, instead of going to a trader or whatever, he says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to dig a hole in the ground and I'm going to bury it. So he does. Buries the money, puts it in the ground. It's a safe place, relatively speaking, as long as you don't sell the field that the talent's buried in, right? Safe place, buries it in the ground. All right. Now, the return. Verse 19. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came 
and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made you five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 22. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents, and here I have made you two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Wow, so far so good. Right? These guys, these guys took the money immediately. They went and worked. They traded. They did whatever they could. And they returned 100% investment to the master on his return. So what does the master do for these two servants upon their return? He does two things. One, he gives them an increase in responsibility. He says, look, you're gonna, you've increased. I want you, therefore, to go, and I want to bless you. But he also does this. He doesn't just give them an increase of responsibility. He does this. He invites them to share in the master's joy. Do you guys see that? He invites them to share in the master's joy. He says, come, share in my joy with me. You've done a phenomenal job. It's been amazing. Man, I appreciate what you've done. I am so thankful for the way you've worked and have, have traded and have been faithful while I've been away. You've, you've done everything that I've asked you to do and then some. Share in my joy with me. Now, let's get to the third servant, the guy who took his money, buried in the ground. Verse 24. And he also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. And so the first two guys come to the master, right? Here, I've, I've traded, I've worked, I've, I've made more for you. This guy, it's a different story. And he begins his conversation with the master by making some accusations. Right, he, right off the bat, he begins to point the finger. He says, look, master, here's the deal. You exploit the labor of others. You reap where someone else has sown. You get rich on the backs of other people. And not only that, but you've also put me in an unfair position. I didn't sign up for this. I didn't want to do this. When I, when, I, when I came here, I wasn't ready to do all the work that you wanted me to do. I mean, why did you give me one talent in the first place? I mean, that's a lot of money. What do you expect of me? I mean, I like the offer that you've given me of employment, job security, vacation days, sick days, insurance. Hey, I've got a great retirement plan, but now you want me to do some work? I mean, I didn't even go to the bank. I just buried the stuff in the ground. Forget about doing anything. 
I didn't sign up for this. See, he's put in an unfair position. So he thinks to himself, well, if I work the talent that you've, gave, you've, you've given me, that you've entrusted me with, I wouldn't see any of the profit for myself, right? I mean, it's, none of it's coming back to me. So if I do all this work, it's only going to go to you, and I get nothing to show for it. But secondly, if I lose the money that you've entrusted with me, then I'm really in trouble because I, you're a harsh man. And either of these two situations or scenarios for this servant, he comes out a loser, right? He, he gets nothing to show for it. So what he does for the master is he takes the money that was given to him, and he takes it and he throws it back in the master's face. I didn't sign up for this. I mean, I couldn't even, I didn't even do the bare minimum. I mean, if I would have went to the bank and got 1% interest, it still would have been something. I didn't even want to do that. The servant here never asks himself the question, what is my responsibility towards my master? And instead of working, he blames and points the finger at the master. And then he begins to distance himself from the responsibility that's been given to him. Look, it's your fault. I didn't sign up for this. I didn't want this. It's too much money, or maybe it's not enough. Maybe I wish I would have been given the five. Instead, I got the one. Or whatever it is, he begins to distance himself from the master and push back on the master. Look, man, this is your fault. I don't want to do this. And in the end, it's the, in his mind, it's the master's fault that the servant is in the position that he's in. There's no appreciation there's no warmth, and there's no love for the master. So verse 26, what is the master? How does the master respond? But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. Now he asks the question, you knew that I reap where I have sown and gather where I scattered no seed? It's a question. He's not saying he's doing that. He's saying, you knew that? You know that I do those things? You're so sure of yourself? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So what does he say to do? Take the talent from him, give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Verse 30, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the servant at the end is removed from the master, punished. It's quite severe, isn't it? I mean, just looking at it at face value, you think, wow, that's harsh. It takes this kind of twist at the end. You think, okay, I'm going to fire you, or we're done here, or whatever, and it, it, it almost takes it to the next level. But Jesus, in his wisdom, and his, his unbelievable knowledge and understanding of all things, he's provoking in people and in us a response. 
He, don't, he doesn't want us to sit comfortably black and think, oh, that's, that's a great story. Thanks for entertaining me. I love to be entertained. He's digging into people's hearts. He's digging into our hearts. He's challenging us. See, in all that we are as believers and Christians and, and followers of Christ, from the very beginning of time, in Genesis chapter 12, when, when God calls Abraham out, he says, look, I'm going, I'm, I'm going to do something. I'm going to bless you in order that you would be a blessing to the whole earth. There, there's, I, I'm going I'm, I'm to care for you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to love you. But I'm going to bless you. And in, in doing so, I want you to do something. I want you to be a blessing to all the earth. In some ways, as we pray for Tony up here, right, it, it's, it's a pretty visual demonstration of this Genesis chapter 12 being blessed in order to be a blessing. But not only in, is that the case in the Old Testament with God's people, but God also calls us, even in the New Testament as well, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it reads this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. There's this beautiful picture of God creating for himself a people who know him and love him and serve him and follow him and walk with him. And he says, look, I'm going to bless you with my presence. I'm going to bless you with all that I am. And I want you to therefore go and be a blessing to the rest of the earth, the people all around you. You have an opportunity to be a proclamation to the greatness and the glory of Jesus Christ. And the, author, the offer of salvation that he gives to all people. It's a beautiful picture. It is what Jesus Christ has accomplished. It's his blood-bought promise to his people. That we're called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Jesus accomplished this for us at the cross that he died at. He rose from. It's a blood-bought promise that we have in Jesus Christ. And this is the very thing that we were created for. That God created us for a purpose, for a reason. It wasn't to sit back and sit on some shelf somewhere or some couch somewhere and just gather dust. He's got a purpose. He's got a reason for all of us. So who is Jesus talking to in this passage? Who is it that he's talking to? Well, if you turn back a chapter, you see in verse chapter 24, verse 3, he's talking, to the, he's talking to the disciples in particular, right? The disciples are gathered around him. He's giving, a, he's giving them this parable. It wasn't just for people in general. He's talking to his people, his disciples, his guys. He's giving them this. But he's also, if you look in chapter 26, verses 3 and 4, the religious leaders are also gathered around at some point. Either they're overhearing this or they're in the crowd listening because as soon as he gets done speaking these parables... They immediately go to seek to arrest him and murder him. So they, they're overhearing this as well. So as he's speaking these parables, he's not just giving it to one portion of Christianity. He's giving it to all his disciples, as well as probably everyone who has ears to hear. This parable is for everybody. And so when we, as God's people, we have been, each one of us has been entrusted with the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
that when we came to faith in Christ, when we trusted in Him, as Luke talked about this morning, when we entered into Christ, when we believed Him for the forgiveness of our sins, Christ Jesus gave us an unbelievable gift. A gift of His presence, a gift of purpose, a gift of meaning. And He calls us and He invites us to begin to walk in that. That we, as His people, would be a blessing to those around us. Now, that is what we are created to do. And I'll say this as well. When we, be, when we walk contrary to the thing that God created us for, it creates all kinds of troubles for us. Just like this, in this parable, this guy was entrusted. He said, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to walk my own way. I'm going to do my own things. I don't know what, what this servant did while his master was away. Maybe, maybe his kids needed attention and he got involved in all kinds of sports and activities or he started working all kinds of doubles and he just wasn't around or he had other things going on in his life and he says, man, I got all kinds of stuff going on. I don't feel like doing the work or maybe the, the master is never coming back so I can just do whatever I want. Whatever this, the case may be, he begins to walk contrary to the very thing that, that his master called him to do. I remember when our daughter Adeline was born, and as first-time parents, we're sitting there in the hospital, Michelle and I, and Addie's not even a day old, and she's sitting in the, like this little cart thing next to the bed and just enjoying seeing her. And, and as she's there, all of a sudden she begins to cough and begins to choke. So we call the nurse. The nurses come down. She was having a hard time breathing, and then they, they took her to the kind of this emergency room area, I guess, and then they suctioned out all kinds of stuff that was in her stomach and bring her back. Okay, she's fine now. And I mean, I'm terrified. Like, I just witnessed my daughter choking and not being able to breathe. And so I asked the nurse, I'm like, like, does this happen all the time? I mean, do like, they choke and cough and almost die? I mean, is this like normal? She's like, well, it happens sometimes, right? I'm like, okay. Maybe that's just the way, you know, it is with, with kids, right? I mean, and from then on out, for the next, I mean, for months, I mean, I remember just watching her breathe, thinking, please don't stop breathing. Please don't start coughing, because whatever they did in that emergency room, I can't do here, all right? I don't have the, whatever the, the tools and equipment to suction out the, whatever you had in your stomach going on here. And so, I mean, we'd literally be just sitting here, just listening, listening to her breathe, and then if oh, I, I don't hear her breathing, okay, I don't hear her breathing, you have to get up and you have to go over and look in there, right? Well, you can imagine, after getting three, maybe four hours of sleep a night for a while, what kind of havoc that, re, that happens in your body, right? I mean, you're, it, you're going sleepless for, for weeks and weeks and weeks, and even the sleep that you do have is is interrupted all the time because then you're like, okay, are they still breathing? Are they still alive? Do I need to check on them right now? That's not what we were created for, right? We were created for probably, I mean, I'm not a doctor, but six to eight hours of sleep, okay? I'm just guessing, right? When you get between six and eight hours, things usually go well for you during the day. When you get three to four for long periods of time, it doesn't go well for you. Let me just tell you that from experience, in the same way, we were created to engage with what the Lord has called us to do. We were created for a purpose. You and I were created for a reason. 
It's not just, it's not just some kind of haphazard thing that goes on. It's God's got a purpose. He's entrusted us with, with all kinds of time and finances and abilities and spiritual gifts and opportunities. This is what God has entrusted to us. And he's calling you and I to walk in faithfulness to the very things that he created us for. When we do those things, when we begin to walk in that, in obedience to what God's called us to do, we can share in his joy. I don't know if you've ever been at a place where you've been serving or helping or caring for other people, and at the end of the day, as exhausted and as tired as you are, you think to yourself, I would not have it any other way. Man, this is the very thing that God has created me to do. Now, it's not all, it's not all the time. I get it. So sometimes you serve and you care and you, you love people and it's hard and it's difficult. There are times like that. But there are also times that we do those things and we get to share in the Master's joy. And that God would entrust us. He, he would love us that much that he would send you and I and do a work, a miracle in us that we would be able to care for and love the people around us. This is God's call to us, to faithfulness to the Master. We're going to close with, with communion. And I just want to welcome the, the worship team to come back up again. We're going to sing a song. And as they come up, we're just going to pray, and then we'll take communion together when it's passed out. But I want us just to take a moment in silence and ask the Lord, God, where, where is it in my life that you, have, you are calling me to walk in faithfulness that I would be able to share in your wonderful joy? So God, we, we bow our heads this morning and we, we thank you for the, the unbelievable call to walk in your ways. Jesus, that you've made a way for us and that you've given us gifts and you've given us the opportunities and time and the resources to be able to, Lord Jesus, love others, care for others, minister to others. And God, now I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring, Lord, help to us to know, God, where it is that you're calling us to. Lord, help us to be faithful stewards of all that you've entrusted us with. Thank you for the offer of sharing in your joy. Thank you for the offer of relationship and of purpose, of meaning. Thank you that, Lord, you've not left us alone. So God, I pray this morning, Lord, that you would help us. Help us to know your plans and your purposes. Help us to walk in obedience to you. Lord, help us to be faithful to all that you've called in us. In your name I pray. Amen.